0: Celebration Church, good to have you here with us for our Wednesday night Bible study. Greet also our campuses in Appleton and Stevens Point, those who watch online. This first Wednesday after Easter, from the looks of it, people had their fill of church for the last week or two, (laughs) but we press on nonetheless. All those other backsliders will return, we're sure, all right, but uh, we are uh, continuing our study Uh, our lofty goal was to go through the whole Bible, and we're still at it, starting with Genesis, uh, and to pretty much go through it verse by verse all the way through. Now, there were big chunks that we skipped for fear of throwing everyone into an eternal coma. You know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and all these, you know, details of the law and how you cook a goat. I don't really care. It just doesn't really apply to us today. But we started with Genesis, where did we come from? The major start there, and the question is really trying to be answered, where did the Jewish people come from? That's really the whole point of it. It talks about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph eventually ends up in Egypt, they are uh, in slavery for 400 years, finally Moses comes, let my people go, and then they came out, went into the promised land, Uh, and then we read through uh, uh, Joshua and judges and then we got to the kings first and second kings we went through all of that talking about the history and that's where we're introduced finally to king david and solomon and all the kings david was the great king in terms of his heart with god solomon was uh, an incredible king because of his wealth and wisdom and powers was really quite stunning Uh, for the most part the rest of them were all squirrels and they were (laughs) really bad and when I say bad, I mean bad off the charts. I mean, they, got, they would keep getting sucked up into their pagan culture of, you know, uh, they wanted to be like everybody else. Temptation even for Christians today. It's so easy. I want to kind of be like everybody else. But we're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're supposed to just be us. We're supposed to be focused on God and celebrating Christ in our lives, which means we'll often act, think, and behave in ways that are quite, quite contrary to the world around us. So be it. Uh, But these guys constantly wanted to be like the nations around them. And they'd get caught up into not just the customs of the pagans around them, not just the fact that they would worship idols and stuff. I mean, these people were incredibly wicked. The Bible even talks about how Israel would get caught up into sacrificing their own children. We're talking paganism at the grossest, worst version of paganism, where there's human sacrifices and stuff. They kept getting caught up in all of this. God would constantly... Uh, warn them and he'd send judgment you know he'd kick their butts and they'd kind of straighten up for a while and then they'd slide back and he'd kick their butts again so much of the old testament that you read all these prophets and stuff around just those few books that we talked about is really about these guys speaking into the lives of these Jewish people who constantly were rebelling against God and God was warning them if you don't stop it I am going to wipe you people off the face of the earth And they wouldn't stop it. And it goes on and on. It took hundreds of years. If you think God's impatient because you kicked your dog one day, I mean, seriously, relax. Clearly, God is extraordinarily patient. (laughs) I'm reading Kings thinking halfway through, just kill him already. (laughs) But I mean, thankfully, I'm not God because I'd kill us all. So finally, because he can't take it anymore, these guys were so wicked. Finally, the hammer comes pretty much in two waves that eventually swept them off into captivity, Nebuchadnezzar uh, being the uh, last of it. And they go in and it's a bloodbath at a level none of us can really comprehend. It's easy for us just to quickly read and move on, but you have no they came in and slaughtered virtually everybody. And a small remnant that were left, the creme de la creme, of the nation, the most talented people, the most intelligent people, some of the wealthier people. Uh, Daniel, when we start reading about Daniel, he was in this uh, exodus, or exile, not exodus, but the exile into Babylonian captivity, and the reason that uh, him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, although that was the original names, I can't remember the original names, but uh, uh, they were picked because they were, Daniel writes, because they were so good looking. Sounds like something I'd write. But anyway, they were so good looking, and so, skilled and brilliant stuff, so they brought him into the service of the king and da 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 da. So, we get to Daniel and we read about Daniel and how he works through these kings because they were into uh, this captivity for, what was it 70 years? Whatever, close enough. 70 years. Okay. And uh, with the prophets, you know, Jeremiah and everybody warning this is what's going to happen, but at the end, God will restore them back. And this was a major. Life-changing event in the life of the Jews. Uh, The truth is, from the moment they got swept into captivity until 1948, they had no say over, or very little say over, their own existence. Even when Jesus came, they were under the rule of the Rome, Romans, Roman. You know, uh, and then they got scattered all over the world, which is also part of the prophecies and stuff like that. And and then, you know, finally in 1948. The Jews all get pulled back. Not all, but I mean, they started coming back to Israel. And more and more of them are keep coming back. And they started their own nation in 1948. Uh, and that was, again, now they first time had control of their own destiny again. It was a major, it was probably, it's probably one of the most major uh, events anywhere near our lifetime that speaks of the fulfillment of the prophecies that are going to bring all of this to an end at some place. That's why many people believe there's not... That much time left. At some point, this whole thing stops, and, and it's all wrapped up, and Judgment Day comes. Jesus comes back, Judgment Day comes. When is that? I don't know. It could be next week. It could be 200 years from, I don't know, but relatively speaking, whatever. It's, we're in a short time frame at this point, because this is a big deal now, and that's why everything, something happens in Israel today. You know, Bible scholars are like, whoa, 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 and everybody's looking to see what does this mean, because it's a major, major event. So we're talking thousands of years here. This was a big deal when they got swept into captivity and really got their butts kicked. I mean, they got slammed big time. Not to mention, just to mention the death and destruction from the punishment that came on them. The remnant, by the time they came back, they were pretty much cured at that point. As far as I can tell, Joe, Pastor Steve, Steve Cron is with us. Give Pastor Steve a hand. Three people here. There you go. Okay. <laughs> You guys can't see over there, but uh, uh, Pastor C. is one of my dearest friends. He's a good friend of this church. Uh, he came and spent a couple of days with uh, Deb and I, but uh, um, what was my point? <laughs> I was making a point. Gonna a I was going to ask you a question. Oh, here's the question. Did Israel struggle anymore with idolatry after that? As far as we can tell, I, I don't, you don't see them anymore. It, it was kind of like, the. was that it? Was there anymore? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty, up to this point, they were constantly getting sucked back into it. Once they came back, they pretty much had learned their lesson. I mean, it's sad that some, sometimes, you know, any parent knows there's a day where a little butt kicking in the home is a good thing. <laughs> Helps people to learn the way they're supposed to behave. And this was like the, the major bookkeeping of this nation. And from that point on, and they've had issues without a doubt. But there wasn't so much any more propensity to keep worshiping idols and all this insanity that they were doing from that point on. So anyway, so after these 70 years, and we read Daniel was all part of this and stuff, Like then the prophecy starts to get fulfilled, and they come back. And they start to rebuild the temple, they start to rebuild the city. Why is this so important? Because there's a major event that has to come to pass. Anybody remember what that is? Jesus. Jesus, thank you very much. A few clues around here. Jesus has to come. So he's got to bring it back, set everything up, you know, so that the fulfillment of the Messiah could come. Wasn't much after that what, 67 years, whatever, that Rome comes in and wipes out Israel, and they're thrown all into the winds again and until 1948. For the last 2,000 years, they've been in the wind all over the place. So uh, so he's bringing them back now. They're going to rebuild the temple. Uh, they're going to rebuild the city and stuff. So this part of the Bible now, so this is a next major event. Okay, we've got before, how. You know, Abraham got there and how the Israelites started and finally got to the promised land, all their kings, and then their butts get kicked, and now they return. These are like the, the major events of the Old Testament that uh, we're at now. This is like the last major event of the Old Testament, and then we'll go swinging into the New Testament. So we're going to read now Ezra, uh, Nehemiah. Those two describe uh, the return and, and the challenges they had because, you know, have you ever noticed that when you try to do good, Satan's right there <laughs> trying to give you a hard time? You know, there's some kind of negative. So these guys had some really major obstacles to overcome, and we're going to read through this how they persevered through all of this. It's really quite stunning. And in the midst of this, uh, is going to be, uh, we're going to squeeze in the book of Esther. In your Bible, by the way, your Bible... Pastor Steve and I were talking about One of the frustrating things about the Bible Is I don't know who organized the books But they're not in order Has anybody noticed this? It's a little frustrating It's like Daniel was way over here Now we've got to back up to Ezra Which was after Daniel And tons of the Bible is just not in order And it gets a little confusing Why they put it in the order It's in I I wasn't there What do I know? So and anyway, so we're going to go to Ezra and then Nehemiah, and then there's Esther. But actually, Esther, as far as I can tell, fits in between Ezra and Nehemiah. So we're going to do Ezra. We're going to squeeze in Esther, which is a fabulous account of how even while they're trying to rebuild the nation, someone comes up with a plot to kill all these Jews. The poor Jews, they've always had someone trying to kill them. It's to this day, I mean, these nations are going to wipe Israel off the face of the map. They have dealt with this forever. Why? Because it's driven by Satan because there are so many promises that God has made that concerns Israel. Satan wants to eliminate these possibilities, these promises to be fulfilled, exercised in futility, but nonetheless, the attempts are always there. So, and then how Esther, who's the queen, she's like this super babe. (laughs) It's a great story. Wait till you read this. It's, I think it's, the only other, there's two, a couple of Bible, books in the Bible that never even mentions the word God. One of them is the Song of Solomon. That's all about sex. And apparently they didn't feel the need to pray at that point. But, uh, and then Esther, which I think also never mentions the word God it is It's strictly a historical account. It's really quite fascinating. Based on what happened and how this queen saved the entire nation from being eliminated. So anyways, so these three books that would be quite fascinating that I think will pretty much... Uh, I don't know, maybe hit Malachi or something, and then we'll get into the New Testament. All that blah, 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 blah. To finally get to Ezra, the first chapter, first verse, and we probably won't even get to the second verse tonight. But anyway, here we go. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, now this is an important deal. Remember that name, Cyrus, king of Persia. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, uh, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it into writing. And then he starts reading the proclamation, which we're going to skip over for just a second. Now, I want to back up a little bit. He starts talking about Cyrus, this king that makes this proclamation finally to end the 70 years of captivity. And to the initial process of start to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, for some reason, I, I don't know what it is. I guess... You know, Jeremiah spoke of this time coming to an end And that they would come back But uh, the really more stunning prophet is Isaiah When it has here And why he doesn't mention Isaiah I have no idea, I wasn't there But uh, I want you to stop and take a look at this Because we're going to back up into Isaiah Isaiah chapter 44 So those of you following around in your Bibles You can turn to Isaiah 44 Those of you staring at screams Can just sit there and keep staring at me well, I find it. Where is it? Da, 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 da. Isaiah, because it's not in order. There it is, out of order. And we'll go to chapter 45, no, 44. There we go. All right. So now check this out. This is really cool. So chapter 44, verse 24. This is Isaiah the prophet, who is now prophesying at least 150 years, some say longer, before, depending on you think he wrote it, before Cyrus is ever born and before this event ever happens. Now remember, much of these prophets that we've skipped over in large part because of <laughs> it's so hard to read these guys uh, and speaking to the Israelites in terms that the Israelites understood and hard for us to comprehend. Anyway, the point is they're speaking in them, telling them to repent. Uh, in the midst of this, we see prophecies of the, of the Messiah and stuff like that, but a lot of it is really kind of, kind of hard to capture but warning of this punishment and that at some point God would restore them I'm going to knock your head off but I will not abandon you I'm going to punish you but I will not abandon you much like a parent because we don't kill our children but I'm just saying these guys as a nation they were so disciplined through this horrible act of violence that came on them because they were so wicked but then he still loved the nation and protected that remnant and said I'm going to bring them back and we're going to start over again and Isaiah prophesied, as, long as, as well as Jeremiah. The reason I'm pointing out Isaiah because we're going to read something that's really quite stunning. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24. This is what the Lord says uh, Isaiah wrote, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the Maker of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets, who makes fools of diviners. These are people who think they can you know, through whatever, Ouija boards or whatever it is that they're trying to portend the future, false prophets, diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise, turns it into nonsense, uh, who carries out the words of his servants and fulfills the predictions of his messengers. So what he's basically saying, look, I'm God, all this nonsense, all these other people trying to foretell the future and stuff like that. I make fools of these people. All these people think so wise, smart outside of me. I make fools out of all of them. But I honor the words of my prophets and their predictions that come to pass. And then he starts to prophesy. But not just at a general this is all going to kind of happen prophecy. I'm talking extremely specific prophecy. Here's the prophecy. This is my The prediction of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited, the towns of Judah, they shall be rebuilt and of the ruins, I will restore them, who says, to the watery deep be dry and I will dry up your streams, who says of Cyrus, who's Cyrus, he is my shepherd and I will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Now, I want you to grasp this. This is so stunning that skeptics of the Bible don't believe Isaiah actually wrote this. They think it was inserted later. Because, And the same thing with Daniel. Remember, Daniel gave such specific prophecies of the various nations that would come after. There was no way anybody could possibly know that. So skeptics say, well, Later on, they took it and inserted it into these texts and stuff like that. Even though the evidence, to the contrary, is very strong, because you've got these scrolls that date a lot of these things, and these things are there, but they have all kinds of intelligence. Listen, one thing's for sure. You will never convince anybody about the glory and love of God with their brains. You can't do it. God's got to pull them by the heart. Faith has to come to them, uh, and it's just the gift of God, so you want to, people say, well, Pastor, what can I say to convince somebody about Jesus? You know what, you can get on your knees and you can pray for him. Or you can stand and pray, you don't have to be on your knees, <laughs> I don't always say that. You pray any way you want, sit on your butt and pray. I don't care, but you can pray and ask God to get a hold of their hearts and open their eyes, because that's how it happens. Uh, sometimes we can try and find the right words, one way to help in that regard, but you can't convince people intellectually. And the evidence of God being divine and the scriptures being divine and stuff like it is overwhelming But yet these people dismiss it because in their mind, it's impossible. How could Daniel know what nations were going to rise hundreds and hundreds of years after him? They had to insert this later, even though there's evidence that that wasn't the case. Well, they say the same thing about Isaiah here. And again, evidence of early scrolls where this is in their writing. Uh, But but they try to explain it away. Because what Isaiah does here, he starts saying that after this judgment, which he's foretelling that God is going to rebuild. And God says, I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem, and we're going to redo it. And the guy I'm going to use is this king. And he calls him by name. Now stop and think of this. This is stunning. It's one thing to prophesy in general, you know. In fact, even some of the prophecies that we look at to the end times, we don't know the cat's name, you know. Who's the Antichrist? Is he Fred from Iowa? Who knows? Nobody knows. We all got to kind of, you know, it tells us this is going to happen. But this, are you kidding me? He says, this is the guy who's going to do it. And his name will be Cyrus. Now that is stunning. Because remember what I just read to you? In the first year of King Cyrus. How in the world could they possibly know? Because God's God. Continuing on, verse 45, this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, God calls him his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I will take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you my anointed Cyrus. I will level the mountains. I will break down the gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasure, riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor. He's going to become the most powerful man in the world at this time. Okay, this is stunning, unless you think, well, I can't believe that because I'm an unbeliever or whatever. Like, this is stunning that God, that the prophet would be this specific, is absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, he says, I will come. I'm going to give you all this power. Nobody will withstand you. You're going to have riches and stuff like that. He is telling about this great king that is going to rise. I am the. Oh, and then he says, and I will bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. Now, that's the kicker. He calls Cyrus his anointed one. I am going to take you by the hand. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to make you a butt kicker of all butt kickers. Nobody's going to be able to withstand you. You're going to conquer everything. You're going to become the most powerful man with this title, even though you have no idea who I am. Isn't that amazing? Now, uh, this brings me to a subject I was talking in with Pastor Steve. We discussed all the challenges of the world in just an hour and a half but. You just got here. But uh, and, and I've been talking about this in this series that I'm doing. I'll pick up again this Sunday about faith 101. And one of the questions that we have asked is, you know, people say, well, why did God let that happen? Why did God let this happen? You know, everybody says, Oh, God, why did God let that why did God let you know my Uncle Fred die in a car wreck? Well, probably because Uncle Fred was drunk and driving too fast around a corner. Might have had something to do with it. All right? The problem is, the point is, God had nothing to do with it. By and large, virtually everything that happens on this planet is a matter of free will that you choose to do or not to do. You can't go blaming God. The reason why people do stupid things is because they're stupid, and they don't even know it. It is what it is, right? Why would my liver rot out? I don't know, because you drank a bottle of Jack every day. You know what I'm saying? God had nothing to do with it. It is what it is. There's a thing called free will. I'm going to talk more about this Sunday, because really, people struggle with this. And they get mad at God. Why did God do this? Why did God do this? Seriously, check your medication. God had nothing to do with it. And by the way, I'll probably repeat this on Sunday. You get mad at God. People get mad and yell at God. If you do that, you have a fundamental misunderstanding of who you are and who God is. Just saying. Okay? It's like a bug yelling at somebody, walking by. Hey, you're in the way of the sun. Really? You get mad about yelling and screaming at God. You don't understand God. First of all, you need to have more respect for God than that. And you have to understand a lot of what happens is not God doing it at all. Straight up. Yet in the midst of all of that, there are absolute divine things that God has set into motion that nobody can stop. And it is what it is. People make the mistake of reading this assuming that all things happen because God said it to happen. The problem with this thinking is if you think like that, it's why some of you can't pray or you have a hard time reading the Bible or a lot of people don't go to church. Why? Because if you actually have this crazy thinking in your, that God does everything, well, why would you pray? Right? I mean, if God knows everything's gonna happen and he's already ordained it's gonna happen and there's nothing you can do to help make it happen, why would you pray? If God's already ordained that everything, why would you read the Bible? What difference does it make? Why would you go to church other than Easter and Christmas just to make your in-laws happy? Why? It doesn't matter, right? And I'm telling you, one of the main reasons Christians struggle so much in their faith and doing anything is because they have bought into this thinking that God does everything. He knows everything. He's already got everything worked out. That is not true, particularly in your life, unless he has some divine major yo mama plan. That he will over, in some, in some cases he does. He might have something and he works you through it. You know, I don't know, sometimes I feel that about my life. I should have been dead half a dozen times by now. <laughs> Why am I still here? I think God has a specific purpose for me that has very little to do with me. It's just God, you know, it's like Cyrus didn't even know what was going on. All right, maybe that's to your... T- to some degree in your life. But by and large, you need to understand. You need to pray. You need to study the scriptures. You need to get in church. You need to do all these things so that you can do the right things in life so you can be blessed and succeed. God will not just, but it's not already automatically set in stone. But there are events that are absolutely set in stone. But those are the exceptions. But there are major exceptions. God had foreordained that he would bring Israel back from this punishment rebuild the nation so that the Messiah could come so all this stuff that we're experiencing could be fulfilled all part of God's plan there was nothing anybody could do to stop it all right and even Cyrus had no idea god gave him all of this power all of this wealth the control of the world for one purpose so that 70 years after these guys were in captivity he would send them back that's why he did it it's quite stunning and the cojones to actually mention someone by name and what he would do hundreds of years before they were even born is a big deal. So I the Lord. I am the Lord. There's no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Can God use an unbeliever? Yep. Absolutely. Just like he can use a donkey or anybody else. I mean, it is what it is. He's just, he, even though you don't know me, he says to Cyrus, I'm going to do these things. I'll strengthen you even though you haven't known me so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You heavens above, rain down on my righteousness. Let the clouds uh, shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created Created it. Woe to those who quarrel. <laughs> With their maker. Kind of the point I was making before. Uh, there are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds of the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, why are you making it? What are you making, huh? It doesn't say anything. So he's talking about the rain, everything he's got said. There are things he has set in motion that nobody can change. The mistake is to think that means everything always, and it's not true. But there are some divine things. Jesus was coming. There was no, nothing anybody could do to stop it. Right, John the Baptist is coming. All part of the prophecy. All these, there are some elements of that, but we have this thing called free choice and free will, and we need to do the right things. Uh, So does the potter say, you know, to the clay to the potter, hey, what are you making? Uh, Does your work say the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to a father, why have you begotten? Or to a mother, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and its maker concerning things to come. Do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind on it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry host. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness and I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free, but not for a price or for a reward, says the Lord Almighty. He said, He's going to do this for no reason. And these kings all did stuff for specific reasons. They did things so they would benefit, straight up. If there was no benefit, they wouldn't do it. And if there was even a hint that they would suffer loss, they certainly wouldn't do it. Then what he's prophesying is he will do all these things, he will set this all in motion, he will make this happen, and he'll do it for absolutely no reason whatsoever, other than I have ordained that he will do it. Very, very powerful even to a man who had no idea who God was. I was reading this uh, earlier and looking at some of the historical arguments. You can look at this. You can Google online. You can read the arguments of people. Say, wow, that's impossible. I couldn't have known that. And it was said in years later by so-and-so. I mean, people are always coming up with some things that the Bible isn't really real, and they made it up, you know, last week in Hawaii or something. And uh, But the evidence of these... Uh, scrolls predates the time that they said it would, and this is there. And, uh, and one of the most interesting things of historical record is Josephus, who was a major uh, historian uh, during... Was he around Jesus' day? I believe he was. You know, And, and you know the, when intellectuals look at the history of the world, a lot of stuff, I'll quote is from Josephus, who was this brilliant historian. Josephus records that what happened was that uh, when Cyrus came to power... The, the Jewish elders went to him and read these scriptures to him. Which, if that's true, that's pretty. Can you imagine being Cyrus and reading this? And he it says, "This is what God said about you. He knew you were coming, 150, 200 years before you were born, and da da da, and you're going to do all this." And then Cyrus does it. Boom. So now, whether or not they read it to him and he did it, or he just did it, because who knows? But he did exactly what God would say. And this prophet nails it 150 years plus before he was ever born. Truly one of the most stunning uh, things in the the Bible. So anyway, so let's back up now. We'll go back to Ezra. We will actually get to verse 2. I feel so proud. (laughs) So this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Actually, if you read it like this, you do get the sense that they must have read it to him. Right? How else would he know this? Because he didn't know God. So based on the way he's saying it, you have to think that they must have read it to him. God has put all this in order said, I should build for him a temple at Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may be their God with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide, with, uh, provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. <laughs> this is really good news. So what he's saying is to all these Jews that are stuck at, after this exile, any of you who want to go back can go back. Now, actually, just a small group of them originally went. Uh, there were still a lot of them spread throughout the Persian Empire. And that's where we will read how Haman, this nasty guy, wanted to kill all those Jews. And Esther intervened. So we'll get to it. But, so anyway, he says, anybody who wants to go, he basically gave them a free pass. You can leave. They were servants of the king. But he gives them a free pass. You want to go back? You can go. And not only can you go, it says... That all the people that are living around you, they are to provide you with silver and gold. And with free will offerings for the temple. What is a free will offering? It's an offering you give of your own free will. (laughs) That's all it is. Free will offering. Hey, whatever you want to give, you want want to give. Okay? That's why you hear us talk in terms of tithes and offerings. Tithes, we believe, is this 10% that's committed to God. The offerings above and beyond. That's your own free will. Whatever you want to do. Okay, Uh, so anyway, um, so this is exactly what happens. And he tells the people, I mean, it would be like, you know, someone saying everybody in who wants to in Bellevue, where I live, just over the little border here between Green Bay and Bellevue, everybody in Bellevue, anybody who wants to move to Green Bay can do it. And all your neighbors have to give you money. Well, that would be cool, right? Yeah. Fatten me up, baby. All the silver and gold, I and carry. That's what they did. Why would they do such a thing? Because you didn't mess with these kings. <laughs> when these kings said to do something, you did it. Or... <coughs> All right? So then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver And gold, all the neighbors gave him all this money with goods and livestock and with valuable gifts in addition to all the free will offerings. They gave him that because the king said so. And then anything else you want to give, okay. You know, and they tossed in more. It's quite stunning what happens here. So they are set, man. So moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was the main guy who came in at the last wipeout, drug them all away uh, into captivity. And when he did that, he took all these articles of the temple of the Lord made of gold and some great wealth involved in these things. These things were dedicated to God. And he had uh, kept it uh, set for you know the service of God. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had set it away. It was his... Said it his son or the next one? I can't remember these names. And stuff. remember, he has that big party, and he pulls these, these things out, these articles, and they have this big party, and he's playing with these articles, and that's when the hand of God wrote on the wall. That's where you get the saying, handwriting on the wall. This is hand appears, writes on the wall, and basically says, you're going to die, and he dies. So don't play with those things. So he, uh, they took all these things, and they gave it back, and Cyrus King of Persia, brought them. Uh, by Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Shezbazar. Shezbazar, the king of Judah, the prince of Judah. And this was the inventory. And then he, they record all the stuff that they gave them. And I don't want to read them. And there you have it. Read it on your own time. Okay? Then chapter 2. These are the people of the province who came out of the captivity of the exiles. Whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken to Babylon and blah, 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 blah. And then they list all these people. The s- descendants of Parash, 2,172 of this, 372 of Era, 775. And it goes on and on. And it is a detailed record of how many people from each group went to Jerusalem. Again, I will not read them. <laughs> You can read them. <laughs> uh, it's amazing the records that they kept. Uh, anyway, if you s- skip down to verse 64 of chapter 2. We're trying to find all that there back there. So I'm jumping all over the place. The whole company numbered, well, oh, trust me, 42,000. Nope, that's not it. Yeah, 42,360. These are the people besides their 7,000 337 male and female slaves, and they also had 200 male and female singers. All right, they had 736 horses, 245 mules. And anyway, it goes on all this stuff, and I don't want to read it. So there. So... Then they get back and they have all this. And it's amazing. It, and it writes down how much money they had when they got there. It, it's really, they were really given to incredible detail. If you stop and think about it, it's stunning. When you read uh, the New Testament in the beginning of Matthew, it says this is the, you know, the account of Jesus or whatever. And he starts with the genealogy. You know, so-and-so begat so-and-so and was the father of so-and-so. They kept detailed records of all of this stuff. These people did not mess around. They didn't have to go to Ancestry.com to figure out where they came from. You know, they didn't have to do, you know, DNA, DNA testing to see, you know, where they went back to. You ever do that? You ever do that? I just got one of those things. I'm going to do it, see where I came from. Probably some prison over in Persia. Who knows? But uh, uh, they didn't have to do it because they kept intense, incredible records. Uh, I have a question. Any of you guys know? Pastor Steve, Joe, do they still keep those kind of records? Does anybody keep those kind of records? The Jewish people, do you know? They're ultra, ultra conservative. I mean, I don't know. Up up to the point of Jesus, after that, it's like all these records disappeared when they came and got slammed and went all over, spread all over the world. So uh, it's it's really rather stunning. We're talking thousands of years of history that they kept incredible records from. This is people who did not have computers. They didn't even have printing presses. Someone had to write down Every word, every number on these scrolls and maintain all this stuff. And the, anyway, to this day, here we are thousands of years reading all the details of all of that stuff. So then we get to chapter 3 as we're getting ready to wrap up here. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled into their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Jozadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of whatever, I don't want to say all these... And, and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. So the first thing they do is, is they get together and they work on the altar. So they're going back. You have to remember, Jerusalem is in ruins. It is devastated. The temple has been flattened. The walls have been flattened. Everything's been burned. It's just a mess. And they go back and it's, you know, it'd be like, You know, coming back to your home after a big tornado or something, everything's just devastating. If you've ever been in a zone like that, it's it's like a huge bomb goes off. It was like everything was destroyed. And pulling through all that mess, the first thing they do is find the altar. And they start to rebuild the offer so they can uh, start offering up burnt, uh, burnt offerings in accordance to what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, what does that mean? So these guys come back, they're starting to build the temple. Well, there's people around them who who really hate the Jews at this point. Even though they got this big green light from Cyrus to go back. And, uh, and a lot of this is what we'll read in Ezra and in Nehemiah are these nations around them that are doing everything they can to stop them. Stop it. They want to do something good for God. And there's always somebody, somewhere, something that Satan is using to discourage people. Uh, and uh, it doesn't take long of walking with God before you start finding that out in your life. You know, there's people you want to be around That's one of the reasons you want to do church and get connected with the people because you want people who will encourage you, right? Encourage your faith. Make you feel like you want to be a better person. I hang with certain guys so they make me want to be a better man. That's what I try to look for. But I promise you, there's people out there, their sole goal in life, I don't know if they're aware of it, but the devil's using them just to make you feel bad. They want to discourage you. They want to drag you down. You know, a lot of times they're relatives. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to encourage you like a brother or a sister who hates your guts. You know, or an in-law who thinks you're a psychopath or whatever. And they'll do all kinds of stuff to say to you, what are you doing, you crazy moron? What are you doing in that cult? You know, whatever the deal is that they will try to do. You try and trust God, and there will be people right there Trying to discourage you. Always has, always will. And that's what happens to these guys. So it says, despite the fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and evening sacrifice. The neat thing about it is they got right to worshiping God even though everything wasn't perfect yet. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes as you rebuild your life, to a true perfectionist, and there's some of you out there, there's people that are very detail-oriented perfectionists, Uh, the challenge for a perfectionist, it is hard for them to feel they can move forward because everything's not yet perfect. You know, They tend to be some of the greatest procrastinators in the world. Uh, These are people who start things and never finish them or never start things in the first place because they're waiting for everything to be perfect. I don't have that problem. I have many problems. That's not one of them. Okay, because I am not a perfect. I can be a perfectionist if I, you know, play music or something else and you want to do, but by and large, I'm more of a hand grenade kind of guy. You know, something will work. Boom! Okay, and, and uh, we'll move. That's how I clean my house. All right, then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required offerings. So they're going forward, doing the number of offerings prescribed each day. They're doing, and it goes through and starts telling all the different festivals and stuff. They start right away jumping in and connecting with God and worshiping God and celebrating God, even though everything else was a mess. Everything else was still a disaster things were still broken. And not only things were broken and messy, they had the threat of these nations around them who hated their guts and kept trying to find ways to discourage them and to stop them, which is what we will read as we continue with this next week. All right? So God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you Sunday and see you next Wednesday night.